Hey, welcome to my podcast, Pada Dad. I am Daisuke. Today, I have invited one of my adult ballet coaches, Christopher Taggart. He is a specialist in strength and conditioning. Welcome, Chris. Please tell us everything about you and the strength and conditioning. So, yeah, my name is Christopher Taggart. I am.、Um... Wow, we're, I think we're a year down the line now, but I've just finished with all my studies.、Um, oh, congratulations! So, the,、uh, following from the COVID delay, I haven't got it all confirmed yet, but it's all passed and everything. So, that's, that's seven years of higher education finally done. Start moving on with my life now, getting some real experience. So, so that's good. So, years, I had, what have、um, you been studying, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so my undergrad degree. Was in sports medicine and nutrition, which was really nice and enlightening because it gave me a really good perspective on the importance of nutrition. And then, following off from that, I went straight into a master's in strength and conditioning, where we learned mostly theory. There was a bit of practical, but not as much as I was hoping, of how to train and coach elite athletes, which was, which was really interesting and, and the science behind. Why we do what we do and the benefits of such, and why we shouldn't do some of the things a lot of people do, which was, again, it's, it's nice to learn and expand on, on things you might not be too sure of, but that's what seven years of higher education will do. It will definitely teach you more than you thought you knew. So, you have completed all of your qualifications. Congratulations. And you've already been coaching vocational ballet school students as well as professional ballet dancers. I think you mentioned in Czech Republic, am I correct? So during my master's, and I was, because I was working at Case Dance in Warrington for a little while, through the connections through there, I was invited to a guest lecture and do some workshops and treatments at the.、Um, National Moravian Theatre in okay. Ostrava. Okay. Which was,、uh, so I was there for three days、um, teaching on、uh, strength conditioning, nutrition, pain and performance. And then I'd give one to one sessions on, on, on pain management and trying to get people out of these little niggles they've got, which, they, which don't seem to go away on their own. So that was, that was an amazing experience. I absolutely love that. So you already have a Diverse experience of teaching professional ballet dancers as well as vocational ballet students. What is the main difference when you're coaching them? It was, it was the independence they had because I'd, at, the, at KS Dance, you know, we're working with them、um, 21, 22 year olds at, at the most, and、yep. these are 24, 25, still young, but some were as late as 30, I think, still, still on, on the main core. Yeah. It was their independence and their awareness of their own body. And that's what I didn't have to teach so much, is they knew how flexible they were and they knew at what range of motion they were sticking at. Like, where, where was it difficult to go from there? And they knew that. And, but what they didn't know was, well, how do I get better from there? Because、oh, what they've been taught is, is stretching and do the movement over and over and over again. What happens then is overuse injuries occur. Is they, they have a sticking point, say with、um, an arabesque, and they just can't get the, 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 the line just a little bit straighter. Yeah. They end up coming with lower back pain、oh. or shoulder pain at the, at the opposite 
neck. Excellent. And it's because they, they keep trying to do the same movement, which is, which is the goal. You want to get better at that movement. You have to do that movement. Yes. But if there's a sticking point, there's a reason for it. And you need to train around it to temporarily teach you to use the muscles that are required mm-hmm. because they might not have necessarily been taught appropriately for their specific body type. But a lot of the time, most of the time, it's going to come down to an old injury, which they didn't think was very important, but that's actually affecting why they can't gain that little bit more extra flexibility in their low back, for example, because the, the brain is telling the low back to, to seize up. It doesn't want to stretch anymore because yeah. it thinks there's danger there. Yeah. That was the only thing they, they struggled with, was I've been stretching for so many years now and dancing for so long. Why can't I just get a little bit better? Because they had a good perspective in mind. They knew it's not, you're not going to achieve something instantly, which yep. is the difficult part with training teenagers. Is they want it immediately. Professional dancers, they know, okay, this is going to take time. I understand that. But yeah. I've been working at it for a long time now, and I'm still not getting anywhere. Yeah. And then that's where I come in and go, okay, well, there's a few piece, parts of the puzzle you, you've been missing. Here they are. So this is like strength conditioning. This is some... Um, neurology type stuff which you need to understand to kind of hack into your nervous system to, to get better at a specific movement. So would you say strength and conditioning is the way to help dancers and athletes from a different perspective let's say am I right? Yeah exactly that's just a different perspective because because ballet specifically now because it's so classical and not much has changed in the last hundred years of ballet. So when, and, and with strength conditioning specifically, I think there's maybe 10 of us in the world that work with ballet specifically. And you're one of them. And I'm one of them, yeah. Excellent, great. excellent. <laughs> um, so it's a, a massive outside perspective on it, mm. um, which, which seem, might seem common knowledge for other sports, or not even sport, but other athletes and artistic gymnastics as well so they're already ingrained into strength conditioning so they understand the the work ethic of training something which you might not think has relevance to dance but is vitally important for your career longevity and then just the health of your joints and bones and and ligaments and muscles so through your strength and conditioning exercise not just building physical strengths but bringing our subconscious into conscious to understand the brain and our moving pattern am i right it sounds really amazing and as you just said there's only about 10 people can coach in this world and i think it's going to be really popular soon and i've got so many students who really want to start but they don't exactly know what strength and conditioning is could you please explain us the detail and what exactly it is, please, Chris. Yeah, I'll try and keep it short. Um, condense my four-year degree into a few sentences for this one. Um, so it's just the best thing I thought was this: is with strength conditioning, all I want to do is achieve adaptation for you with as little effort as possible. I want you to be fitter, stronger, faster, more powerful using a very specific science to help you on that way a very specific science that's not going to negatively affect your dance classes or your dance career because um 
there are elements which which you're not hitting during dance training which we need to train outside of dance so you can become a better dancer um, and these things include basic or I, I start with with our classes now with adult ballet whales we're progressing now because i've taught them all the basic movement fundamentals how to squat how to hinge how to push pull how to single leg even even though you spend most of your time on a, doing single leg exercises in in bar, ballet bar for example there's still a lot of things you're not training which will have a massive impact on our best line for example um, there's also a lot of core work as well of, of how to rotate and extend when you're supposed to and not rotate and extend when you're not supposed to so it's just teaching how your body is supposed to move and then doing specific exercises that are going to affect your dancing positively now chris please tell us how you got into this strength and conditioning background do you used to do ballet or do you have any influence from your parents such as maybe you have a sister or siblings who used to do ballet tell us tell us what, what how come you started off strength and conditioning so <clears throat> i'm still trying to figure out how exactly dance came into my world but it, it was it was first exposed to me because my dad is a is a pianist and he's played for the dance companies and school for the past 30 years now i think yes mr and, taggart yeah mr taggart the legend i didn't even yes. know how uh, legendary he was until i started training people yeah we were very lucky to um have him he always helped us out at exam and uh, you know school and ballet so he's great yeah he's great and he was he was a great teacher to me because then he's he's taught me some piano as well and then the school are trying to get me to play some piano on the saturday classes but i'm not quite ready for that i think so, but he, he, he got me introduced into this, this world of dance, really. And then from there, from, from connections from him, I uh, started working with, with Case Dance and the strength conditioning coach there. Um, after working with them for, for six weeks or so, just to full, because this as well, I was still living in Cardiff. I was invited over to, to come and just shadow and work and help out Rupert, the strength conditioning coach there. It was just six weeks of intense training, basically. This is what we do, this is how we do it, and this is why, which is just incredible. And it's really interested me in working with, with teenagers specifically because they need, they need a lot of help. It's, it's nice to give them um, kind of a role model just to, to help out with. But apart from that, you know, I had no other dance experience. I, I don't even think... Maybe some um, Kayleys when I was younger, but I never went to a ballet class. Didn't do anything like that. They started showing me some stuff while I'm at the school, so they'll teach me some movements because I'll get quite because I watch classes uh, intently because I, I want to figure out. I love problem solving, so I watch everything they do, why they're doing it, and what what parts they're missing, which they might not think themselves. And you know, there's some parts where I'm like, I don't understand this movement. Can you teach me? So there was one point where they, they taught me uh, like a tondu and a uh, releve. And um, I think there was even, I tried to do a pirouette at one point, which was really embarrassing. It just, it just didn't work. Because I, I think I'm quite a good mover. I think I move really well. But when you apply a rhythm and dance element to it, I just fall apart, which is a shame. So dancing for me just didn't, didn't quite work out. 
but um but yeah so so after i left cardiff for my degrees in teaching and i came up to warrington well to finish my last year my uh, my research proposal at case dance where i studied the dancers specifically working try and figure out a specific problem on on foam rolling and recovery which is really fascinating and i've been working there since now and um, well since since covid happened uh, and yeah looking to looking forward to get back stuck in in september and, and kind of pick up where we left off and trying to keep them all healthy because this is quite a good point because everyone and not just dance but every athlete is going to come back after four or five months off completely detrained there's going to be a lot of injuries there's going to be a lot of injuries quite quickly so we need to moderate and get people back in really slowly slower even the first week back should be i don't think we did nearly enough the next week back we should go okay i still don't think we did enough but it was a little bit more that should be the pattern for the next six weeks i think just to because there's going to be a lot of injury and i don't want to work that much looking after bad ankles hips knees and stuff. oh injury is another in- important topic that needs to be discussed with you strength and conditioning includes injury prevention you mentioned and especially for the professional ballet dancers as well as athletes this is a very important topic but however people like us we don't train every day especially after lockdown when we come out i believe we will get injury so will strength and conditioning help that out yes definitely um like i said because the strength conditioning specifically what what i've programmed um it tries to hit what you don't hit during the dance class because you'll get enough conditioning and and rehearsal and practice through through dancing but there's elements like um like jumping jumping's going to be a big thing um because people don't appreciate how damaging jumping is and especially repeated jumps um, we used to have a recommendation i think i think it's still in place which is really over the top but it just shows how the damaging effect on your joints and tissues jumping has so we to do say uh, a total set of jumps for for 20 jumps just repeated up and down two legs and then if you progress that to jumping off of something something only a foot high for another 20 times you've increased the the intensity quite a lot and then the recommended time off from that before you do that exercise again is three days so after you do 40 jumps, 20 off the floor, 20 off a box, you now have to rest for three days. That, that was what we were taught in, the, um, <clears throat> in our master's program of, of how damaging jumps can be. Obviously, because dancers are way more conditioned than the people we were, taught, we were um, coached about. don't really know why, because dancers are, need this more than anyone, but also they are far stronger than most of the athletes. I was taught to train, which is another reason why I wanted to get into this was because it was so fascinating, these people. So progressing jumps um, is a vital part of this, making sure you're not going straight back into Allegro and full grand jetés. You might have practiced as much as you like at the bar. You could be doing five, six hours a day, um, but it's still not enough because you're not hitting um, a specific threshold for adaptation it's not enough stress our body needs to be stressed for it to 
adapt as long as your recovery is, is sufficient as well. So rest, nutrition, sleep. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's how we're progressing with the body weight home workouts that we're stuck with. It's only going to get us so far. So we're, we're increasing our volume with that. Um, but it's, it's enough to, to keep this fit and to just keep away a lot of muscle soreness that's going to come with the return of the dance as well. But my main, my main plan now is, is for, for no shin splints, no rolled ankles, no, um, no jarring of the knees. That's, that's my main focus because I think, I think people will pick up pretty quickly, give it a few weeks, but um, Allegro is the thing I'm worried about the most. So strength and conditioning is like a supplement for professional ballet dancers and the athletes to do what we do safely. Am I correct? That's exactly it. It's just it's a supplement. It's a supplement to your dancing. And we don't want to negatively affect that. We don't want to make you more tired so you can't dance. We want to make you fitter and stronger so you can dance more for longer. That's, that's the plan for it. Excellent. So strength and conditioning just does not support our training, but to increase our performance. Now, talk about injury. As we just talk about ankle, knees and the hips and the back, those injuries are very common, not just in ballet and uh, ballet dancers and athletes, but normal people, day-to-day -day living for us as well, especially rolling ankle, twisting ankle in ballet world, as well as the athletes, runners are very important. Is there anything you can tell us to or teach us to prevent the that type of spraining ankle or that type of injury or if you're coaching you know, people like that how would you correct them uh, yeah the, i mean there are specific exercises we can do to um strengthen the musculature uh, around the foot underneath the foot and on the shin as well because the cycling motion is is a very specific motion um with so so we can strengthen the the smaller muscles like that so they're less easily fatigable so they can keep going longer with um with rolling ankles um a lot of time you know there's a lot of accidents which we just we can't prevent we can do all the preparation but sometimes bad things do happen that just take a slip and then that's all it takes when that happens then our job is to just get you back as quickly as possible um because we can't we can't avoid accidents from happen we can do as much preparation but they can still happen what strength conditioning does is allows you to recover quicker and then come back even stronger which is great because it gives you a chance to be off your feet and then it gets us to train specific things which you wouldn't have we wouldn't have had much time or use for before the injury which so we've seen a lot every time we have a, an ankle sprain or something at school they always come back stronger with a stronger um um a more stable raise basically um but with that i find with ankles specifically um i find it's almost always dictated by uh, a very specific bone within the ankle called the talus and again this this is across all all disciplines i found wherever the that specific bone so if, if you you have your foot the talus is, is just uh, underneath the ankle. So it's in between your heel bone and the ankle bone. 
and it dictates where your foot is going to be. But what I found is wherever that, that bone wants to be, your entire body will follow. So when you see someone, um, so that they'll, so they'll sickle just because let's say they're fatigued and they've, they've lost concentration and they've sickled as they're coming up out of a jump. They'll then kind of collapse and roll into it. And but what you'll see is the whole body will, will kind of jerk in that direction. So wherever that bone goes, the body will just, will just follow it. But what happens is if that is already an issue, even if it's something like a, a light strain, never, someone's never even sprained it significantly, there's been no breaks, it's just a slight twist. That information can carry on for a long, long time. And it makes you more susceptible to uh, an injury because the, the tailor is trying to go somewhere and your body is trying to follow it, but the, your ankle is weak and you're not ready to, to kind of go into a specific position, if that makes sense. So that's what I see a lot of the time is when someone falls completely out of the blue. There was no slip. There wasn't even a jump. It just collapsed. If you replay the footage, if, if you're looking at to film it, because I like to film a lot of the work I do, you can see it in slow motion at the exact point where it all crumbles and it's because the the ankle loses stability because of it's in this specific place and you'll go to them you know this is where injury history becomes really important like has anything happened to it before more often than not it has because everyone's had ankle injuries but making sure that that susceptibility is reduced as much as possible so making sure it's strong making sure you can um react so when you have that kind of fall, because it's a whole body tension thing, because if there's just a slight too much sickle, that can shut off your entire musculature on that side. If it rolls, so if I, if I stretch my wrist here, even, or even my thumb, what that does is it sends a signal to my brain to relax this whole side of my body. I think the thumbs actually think it's the whole, the whole body. With angles, it's the same thing. If it's overstretched in a specific position, it's telling my brain to inhibit all of my reflex because it, you're in danger. So it wants you to just collapse to save from injury or to save from further injury because it just it all the brain wants to do is is to keep you alive. It doesn't know you're dancing. It knows you're moving and it's done something. Well, okay, I don't like that. I'm going to help you out by shutting everything off. So that's what I see a lot of the time. Is, a, is an overstretch in a sickle. It's even worse when you're going or landing in a jump. That's why I spend so much time on jumps. Is if you're landing in a jump in a sickle, you overstretch that talus, the ligaments around it have sent a signal to your brain to go, this is a very bad position to be in. If I land, I might, be, I might break something or something very important. So I'm gonna make the body just go limp and collapse. And luckily they'll get up and they'll be, okay, I just twisted my ankle not so lucky they've sprained it but that's still a better outcome than snapping your leg in half which is what your brain thinks is going to happen it thinks if it's overstretched it's like this is it you might die from this this is how the brain overreacts so it's like okay i'm just going to shut everything off just temporarily what can happen though is that information carries on for a very long time even after the issue is healed that's when we get injury reoccurrence so making sure hips specifically in relation to the ankles are both super strong and supported otherwise we get knee injuries because the knee is such a simple 
joint, it's just a hinge and it does a little bit of rotation. But either side of it, you have your ankle, which moves in six dimensions, and you have your hip as well, which the musculature around the hip is, is huge, so it needs a lot of support. So if one of those are unstable, the knee is going to take a lot of the force because it, it has to, because if there's no stability up or below it, it's going to start stiffening up. And then that's when we get knee pain. Knee pain, it, I find, is just the easiest thing to, to prevent and treat because it's, it's only going to be a few things. It's going to be ankle instability, hip instability, or just tendon weakness or musculature weakness around that knee. Really easy things to train. Um, but, but they're your main things. And with hip issues, um, hip impingements, probably the most irritating thing I find with, with dancers, um, which again will come from overuse. Um, overuse usually to protect the lower back or, or even um, the neck as well, I find, because the, le- the, the upper part of the neck and the lower part of the back um, have a relationship and issues here at the, at the back of the skull will have issues at the lower back. So what can happen is if, if either of those are quite weak, muscles will come and try and protect it. Um, so around the hip, there's a lot of muscles that can help out. And then what happens is they, they get overused and they use too much and they start becoming impinged and in pain, um, which is basically just the muscle saying, I've been helping out for a long time now. Now I need a rest. Like I've been doing too much. I need to stop doing this thing and then, and then I'll be fine. But I need a rest, which is a lot of the time shows us that the issue isn't actually the hip. It's something around the hip unless it's an acute trauma to it, which again, I really don't see very often at all, unless there's a, like an overstretch in the box or the front splits. That's the only time I'll see a true hip injury. Most of the time it's going to be the lower back or the neck, which, um, which again have a, a really important relationship. Um, but again, we, we work with that with strength and conditioning by improving your strength at a very specific range of motion to give it more help so it kind of gives, gives up at a later date. So you don't want it giving up too quick. We want it to go for a little bit longer and then we start looking after your nutrition, your recovery. And it gives us time to go, okay, what's the actual issue here? Let's have a look around. Is it a low back problem? Is it an ankle problem? Is it a big toe problem? You know, um, but that, that's, that's my problem solving way of, of strength conditioning, of finding out what the issue is where it is and why it's happening. If we have all the all those pieces of information, we can make some really positive change. Maintaining yeah. the injuries are the trickiest things for athletes and dancers, but you already have answers to it. Excellent. Yeah, that's it. The, answer, the answers are there. I just need the information from, from you specifically, this person who's injured or in pain. Like, okay, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? But what... What is the information your brain's getting that isn't quite correct? Oh. Do I need to train a specific muscle to make it stronger so it doesn't fatigue as quickly? Or is there more stuff going on which, which is, is basically incorrect information? And then we can treat that quite easily. Excellent. Wow. You are already like a strength and conditioning, almost gut level there. You got everything. I didn't know these uh, knees, ankles and hip injuries. There's a relation to it. I always have a quite a few students saying, you know, my knees, my ankles, my, um, you know, hips and stuff. But there, there are, you know, there are relations to it. Brilliant. And uh, also, 
there's the one thing I would like you to ask. There, since the lockdown, you probably know as well, many, many people started to run, which is lovely weather and, you know, catch a nice air. It's a fresh and lovely thing to do. However, I have started to realize there are many dancers and my students as, as well. When they come back to my uh, lesson, when we try to start the ballet lesson, there lots of people started to tell me they started to have an injury because they started running, such as ankles, knees, and hips. I think running is lovely, don't get me wrong. Lovely way to maintain the health. But as you said, um, doing something healthy, but doing that to getting injury is almost counterproductive. Uh, can you bring, uh, tell me your point of, you know, point of view about running and what's causing the problem? What do you think how it should be done properly, Chris? Yeah, this is, this is funny because I had, I had a, almost exact conversation with my barber the other day and his daughter is um, a very high level synchronized swimmer. And she went out and started running just to keep fit because the pools were still closed. She's like, I've got to keep my fitness conditioning up. So I'm going to go for a run. Um, two weeks later, she comes back with a fracture in her shin. And he told me this because you know, he knows he knows my profession. I'm like, yeah, this is this is the problem. Like, running is awful. Running is the worst. I hate running personally, um, and I never prescribe it to anyone who isn't a runner. If you're not a professional runner, or unless you really enjoy running, I will never get you to run. I know a few of our dancers at the school have run, and they've started to get very aggressive shin splints. Because running is really damaging. It's really dam. It's repeated. It's repeated jumps hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a purpose-built track with a soft landing and it's you know it's it cushions your your uh, rebounds, then great. Like that will that will help. It's still probably going to be too much volume. Like running for um, yeah, it's it's a really big thing. Everyone's been running like ten k's. It's like, this is like, you can't run a 10K. Like, I know you're really fit and strong, but 10K is a lot. And you've only started running for the past two weeks. Yeah, you, you're asking for trouble, really. You are asking for trouble. Um, so running and jogging for, to increase your fitness is, well, I, I wouldn't recommend it personally. I, um, I think there are better ways to, to keep fit. Again, it's, it's awkward if you don't have equipment at home like um like a rowing machine or a cross train or something like that and then yeah you're going to struggle to keep your fitness up but um a very specific part of, of my programming i've done for adult ballet wales is the conditioning at the end where it's it's only um 10 minutes maybe it's at the end of the session we've done all of our strength specific stuff and then we just do 10 minutes of okay i'm going to get your heart rate up really high and we're going to maintain it for quite a while. And that's going to keep your fitness up and it, without the damaging effects of running. Because if all it takes is a, is a bad step off a curb and you're injured, all it takes is too many 10Ks in a row without enough recovery and you've got shin splints. You know, it's, it's a case of doing too much too soon and people's lack of appreciation of how damaging running can be. Which it is, it really is. Again, if you really like running, then then fine, that's okay. You can do running. You just have to be careful with it, and not do too much too soon. You still have to have to progress with it, and if you can do it on 
soft services as much as possible. Um, because from that, I, I love sprinting. I hate running, but I love sprinting. I think sprinting is, a, is the best exercise anyone could ever do. Increasing your sprinting is going to help everyone as long as you're able to sprint. But which is kind of my uh, underlying goal with everyone is, okay, what, can, what do I need to do to be able to get you in a condition where you can sprint, regardless of your profession or experience? I just want you to be able to sprint. I'm probably not going to ever make you sprint because in dance, you're never going to be, you're never going to need to sprint. So it'll be an unnecessary thing to teach and coach. But can I get you into a condition where you can sprint? Once I get you into that condition, I'm really happy um, because, because it's, it's peak performance. Sprinting is the hardest thing we can do, but it's also um, the most impressive thing we can do. If I can get you in that condition, I'm happy. That's just what I'm going for. But if you're sprinting and running before you're able to do that, yeah, you, you're going to have a bad time. You're, gonna, you're not going to do well. You'll feel great for a little bit, then you'll feel awful for a long time. I totally so that's my uh, opinion on, on running. It's quite uh, aggressively against it. But I, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen it too many times where people go out for a nice run to keep the fitness up and they come back limping. Yeah, it's the same here. We've got many students and uh, myself, I'm not, as you said, um, I'm not a big fan of running either. Some people love it, which is great, but I only run when I'm chasing something or when I've been chased by something. Yeah, exactly. necessary. <laughs> because as you said, um, you know, it's a concrete there you know, we are running on. It's a, it's a hard surface. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of you guys, maybe some people have some very expensive shoes which has a lot of cushion. You know, mm -hmm. that might help you, but uh, it's just, it's nothing's flat, sometimes up and sometimes down. There's a bit of gap. The moment, just this little moment, just go over the ankle. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, That's exactly. Uh, when, when we were um, doing our tour for the school, um, because we, we'd go to high schools and primary schools and we'd take our, um, our lino and set it up the, the dance floor there. We'd be, we'd be dancing on really hard floor. And we'd all be like, oh, this is going to be really bad for the dancers. Like, we're really going to struggle. The floor is so hard. And like, like, yeah. And then like, a lot of these are running, like, on their own time. Like, you think this is hard? Like, no. Like, we want to, so it's, it's taking out the, um, the perspective of, of, okay, I'm not dancing. So this, this is fine. But if you're like, well, would you do this on, like, on a, in a dance-specific environment? Would you do this running? on a really hard floor, not in your nice dance studio with, with sprung floors. When they have that perspective, it's like, oh, right, no, I wouldn't do that really. No, I wouldn't do repeated jumps and a leg row outside on my patio or the concrete outside. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is what you're doing a hundred times, just a little bit less intense as you're running. But this, it's the volume that gets everyone. It's, it's just a too much volume. If you're running out for, for 10 minutes, fine, that's, that's, that's okay. You can build on that very slowly, but it's, it's when you go out and run and, and do 10K on your first day and then do have a day off and then do it again the next day. It's, it's a recipe for disaster for that, for, that. for dancers anyway. So I, I, I try and get dancers away from it as much as possible. I agree. Excellent, Chris. So my last question is, is um, with your strengths and conditioning theory method, you know, going through the experience, now you're building up your, like building up yourself, knowledge and profession. What would you, what is your aim? What 
where would you like to go from here? And you know, what would you like to provide through your knowledge and experience? Um, I think I've fallen into a desire, I think. Um, kind of accident. I didn't think this would happen, but, but I love teaching. I love lecturing. <clears throat> I've learned more recently how I love the sound of my own voice because I didn't realize how much I did speak, even in, the, even in our classes. Um, we do a lot of exercise and we go, okay, yeah, now I'm, I'm going to talk about the Taylors because I love talking about the Taylors. So we're just going to keep going on about it. Um, but yeah, I, I love lecturing and, and teaching people uh, the intricacies and, and the deep science of, of all of this. And, and But I just want people to be independent and to, you know, displace all the bad information out there and, and incorrect stuff and the stuff you take at face value. Um, that, that's my goal is to teach dancers um, and, and consult for companies and schools across the world, really, of, of this, is, this is what we should do and this is how you do it and this is why. Um, I like that aspect of, of the problem solving. Um, and yeah, you know, eventually open up my own personal practice of, of strength conditioning and nutrition and neurology because these are the, 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 the feathers in my caps which I like to kind of capitalize on. These three really important things which I think everyone really needs but a lot of people don't know enough about. They know enough to just get by but if you're looking to become the best at your profession if you're if you want to become a really good dancer if you're trying to you know really nail this audition you've got coming up you need to have these three things absolutely nailed down you need to know what your body's doing your body needs to be fit and strong enough to handle the demands of your discipline and you need to understand your recovery process of your nutrition and your sleep so teaching i want all the dancers in the world to know the importance of these three things so that's, that's my goal is to teach and instruct and coach them and how to look after themselves and how to adapt forever. Not just, it was, it was the saddest thing. I think this is what pushed me into actually is, is I was working with a dancer. I'm good friends with her now still, but she had to retire at, I think she was 26 when she had to, had to give up um, because her hips were just too bad. Um, she had surgeries and this was, uh, this was, this was the contact I made in, in Ostrava. Um, really good friends with now and, and she really does miss dance and it's such a shame because she was such a good dancer but she just uh, couldn't handle the demands of it anymore uh, through no fault of her own really she just didn't get enough um, training when she was younger and no specific things she and when she went to the company they definitely didn't look after her in terms of her recovery they're asking too much of her so she didn't have enough time to focus on her recovery um she because she came from our from our our dance school she had a good amount of knowledge on on how to train it was just applying it to a completely different environment and with that culture of well no one else is doing this thing is it you know you, you get ostracized for it and which is why i want to change the dance world for this is i want to make everyone really aware of strength and conditioning and how important it is and i want it to be the norm so people can be safe in dancing and have a longer career. I want dancers to retire way after their, you know, thirties, forties, and still be a principal dancer and have the their body to allow them to do that. Um, so that, that's I think that's the main reason I kind of came into this and where I want to go forward. I want everyone to know 
how important all this stuff is and how it will change your career for the better. Excellent. So with your knowledge and profession, you will save so many dancers and athletes and uh, yeah. people who love stunting and, uh, you know, sports. And one day you're going to open your own Chris Target Clinic of Strength and Conditioning. I don't know the name. I love it. <laughs> the pioneer of Strength and Conditioning. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for joining me no, today. Thank you. So, Chris, if you, um, obviously, you um, provide the lesson with us on Monday, 6.30 online, Chris, mm -hmm. Chris's Strengths and Conditioning. But also, if you want to find you, it's, uh, you have got Instagram account, don't you? Which is... Um, yeah, so it's just Christopher G. Taggart. Um, I'm, I think I'm mainly on Instagram. Everything specific for nutrition, strength, neurology is going to be on Instagram. Um, but yeah, Christopher Taggart should come up. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll find, I'm trying to get more content out there. I'm posting more regularly on those three topics and, and trying to, to give out as much useful information as possible. Um, but I'm, I'm always, I'm on there too often, to be honest. Um, so any questions I will get to and answer. Um, and I find, yeah, there's, there's no bad questions. There's a lot of, I can go into the weeds with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I you know I love answering this stuff, anything across this field. I just get excited to talk about, really. I love it. Um, so any questions, yeah, yeah, hit me up, Christopher Taggart on Instagram. Thank you, Chris. It was really interesting to know strengths and conditionings aren't just building the strengths, but to prevent the injury and recover from injury in a safe and correct way. Thank you very much for joining me, everyone on my podcast Padder Dirt. You can contact me on Adult Ballet Wales on Instagram and Facebook and you can email me on dmballet at mail.com. On my next episode I will bring my Padder Dirt friend. He used to work as a professional ballet dancer who um, we used to dance together. Now he works for one of the biggest theatre in the United Kingdom. I will interview him about how lockdown is affecting theatres in the United Kingdom and arts industry. It's going to be an interesting interview. Until then, take care. See you soon.